You're being catapulted off the side of this hill and you sort of start off rolling and then this massive elastic band pings you into the air and you just fly along the ridge until you get to the altitude. And that's what makes Midland Gliding Club where it is today because of its bungee launching capabilities. This is Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and bringing you great soaring content from glider pilots all over the globe. We now join Chuck and our guest pilot. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy you joined us today. On this episode, we will be chatting with Amelia, and yes, her name fits her very well, as you will soon find out. At just 11 years old, she jumped in the cockpit to start her soaring journey. Now, just three years later, she is flying more than ever, and not just one, but flying out of two soaring clubs. Now, both of those located just outside of London there in the UK. Amelia also recently was asked to be the roving reporter for the build-up to the 2022 Women's Worlds. And she has already interviewed several pilots that will be in that event this year there in the UK in August. As you will hear today, Amelia is always so excited to share with the world this amazing sport we get to be a part of and has shared a lot of her journey on social media. Now, when we talked to her just two weeks ago, she had an impressive 16,000 followers, but now she has over 40,000 followers. Later on this episode, our good friend Sergio, the Soaring Master, is back with another very informative segment. But without further delay, let's join Amelia now for her story on episode 122 of Soaring the Sky. Hello, Amelia. Welcome to Soaring the Sky. Hello, Chuck. Nice to see you. Yeah, I'm happy to have you join us today. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your aviation journey. So, with that, can you tell us about yourself, how you ended up in gliders and pursuing your soaring journey? Well, I knew about gliders, but I didn't know how affordable it would be compared to powered flying. So I started my journey in aviation about three years ago through gliding, but my love for aviation first came about 10 years ago when I flew to the Scilly Isles on a Twin Otter. And in the Twin Otter, you can see right into the cockpit, and there were two female pilots in the front, which is what I believe sparked my love for aviation. I mean, I previously had tried loads of different sports, such as horse riding, power boating, mountain biking, and even rally driving. And simply because of how expensive they were, um, I couldn't pursue on with them. And partly my whole love for a sport was aviation so that's partly why I wanted to go with aviation was because I that's knew what I would always wanted to do since I was little and I think that's partly what my parents knew what I wanted to do as well because no matter what I was doing I was always looking at the sky for an airplane because that's what honestly it's what I think I've always wanted to do and I'm doing right now so I am a 15 year old bronze glider pilot at two different clubs and I have two of my silver legs almost complete and I am flying gliders simply because of how cheap they are and for example a glider costs about 10 pounds an hour whereas a powered aircraft here in the UK is about 10 times that price. That is actually how I found uh, soaring myself. I was looking for something more affordable. Powered is very expensive and uh, searched around and I found that gliders was yeah much more much more affordable. So can you tell us about where you fly? You mentioned two clubs, but I guess the main club you fly, or both of them for that matter, um, the soaring opportunities there, how long your soaring is, what's the terrain like, any of that you'd like to tell us? So currently I'm based here in the UK and I fly from two different clubs, which are two very different clubs in the way we have to land fly and soar and so my home club is Oxford Gliding Club which is right next to Oxford about an hour and a half away from London and it is a massive flatland site it is huge we can get up to 2,000 feet plus off the winch launch on a good day it relies primarily on thermal lift and very rarely we've even had wave lift around there. And I've, I've had one wave flight there in the three years I've been there. 
And I first started off at Bicester, which is literally 10 kilometres to the east of Oxford, because Bicester Gliding Club sadly had to close because they lost the east on the on the airfield. I moved to Oxford Gliding Club and it isn't very far away from where I live. So that, that's partly the convenience of it. And it is a really nice club. There's loads of gliders. And moving on to my second club, which is Midland Gliding Club, which is based up in Shropshire. It is situated right next to the border of Wales and it sits about 700 feet above the valley. And in a directly westerly wind, we can soar about a 15 kilometre long ridge, which is really nice. I've never personally had a ridge day yet because it's a, it only works in a westerly and westerly winds sort of gusting 20 knots is bang on perfect for gliders. But there'd be paragliders riding along this ridge at 10 knots and we need 20 knots. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, I haven't experienced any ridge flying yet, but I've had some thermic flights from there. And quite regularly, they do actually get quite a lot of wave lift up to 10,000 feet plus oh, but wow. you've got to be in the right spot at the right time to get in it and I haven't actually experienced any sort of wave flying yet but I'm really looking forward to flying in wave and experience that new world of soaring in the winter time during going up to heights airliners can fly at which I think is pretty epic and typically here in the UK, our thermic soaring season will last around seven to eight months, depending on what the weather's doing and what cold and warm fronts are coming through. But usually it lasts typically seven to eight months. I mean, in November, I had a 20 minute flight relying on thermal lift, which I think was shocking to everyone because we didn't wasn't really expecting it to catch that thermal, yeah. which was really <laughs> epic. But using other sources of lift, so wave and ridge, we can stay up all year round and people have known to do their silver duration of five hours on a ridge during the winter oh, nice. whereas i had to do my five hours primarily on thermal lift right <laughs> the winch launch now is that both clubs uh yeah so primarily at both clubs we are winch launch only but 10 minutes up the road from oxford there is an aerotoad club called banbury gliding club and their aerotoads there are really cheap and I did my aerotoad conversion there and it cost about £80 in total and I went solo on about my fifth toe because I'd done some previously and primarily it's winch launch at both clubs but Midland Gliding Club also has a motor glider but one of the things that makes Midland Gliding Club so special is it is actually one of the two sites in the world that do bungee launching which I think for some is a very unheard of method <laughs> essentially yeah. You're a massive, you're being catapulted off the side of this hill and you sort of start off rolling and then this massive elastic band pings you into the air and you just fly along the ridge until you get some altitude. And that's what makes Midland Gliding Club where it is today because of its bungee launching capabilities. So you, you've done the bungee? Uh, no, I haven't yet, but I have actually been put on a course for bungee launching, but we have to have very specific conditions to do it in. So we need a direct westerly and gusting 20 to 30 knots straight oh, wow. up the ridge for us to be able wow. to take off in time before we, um, well, hit the bottom of the hill. So I myself haven't had a winch launch yet. I have to do that. But if you compare winch launching and aerotow, what do you think about the difference? So winch launch is more exciting and it's cheaper, definitely a lot cheaper than aerotow. So at my club for a junior, it is £4.50 per winch launch. For an adult, it's double that. And at Banbury Climbing Club for a junior aerotow up to 2,000 feet is £18. So you can kind of see why I went yeah. to a winch launch <laughs> club. The actual feeling of a winch launch is, is a very rapid acceleration to get the airspeed up. And then you rotate into a 45 degree climb and you're basically being reeled in by the winch at the other end of the field and you approach at the top and then the cable releases and you just flying around like you would off the top of an aerotow. And I would say it is definitely the most cost effective and cheapest way to launch. But the positive of an aerotow is if it's a really good thermic day, you can actually be towed out to a proper thermic spot of where you want to wait for your start gate to open and thermal away yeah and that's one of the positives exactly. and aerobatics wise on an aerotow you can get up to 
you know, 4,000 feet were out firmly and lose that height and come back to the ground doing aerobatics. So that's one of the positives of a open aerotow. So, Amelia, I know for myself, after soloing an aircraft, I gained a great amount of confidence that I, I really didn't have before, but not only in glider, but in everyday life as well. How has soloing an aircraft changed you as a person? How has it affected your life? Well, I, when I first started gliding, I didn't know you had, you could go solo in a glider from 14 to about a week into it. And that really oh. surprised me because I, I couldn't picture myself flying a glider solo until about a month or two into my glider training because then I realized this is actually pretty fun and I, I know I could go solo. I wouldn't say I was terrified. I was just excited. I knew in a year's time I could be flying one of these K21s or K13s solo, which I think is pretty epic. Um, as a person, I do find it epic that I can say to people, oh, I flew a glider solo. And they'd be like, oh, what's a glider? It's a gl- it's an airplane without engines. And like, what's the point in <laughs> And that's what I love about it, because I can brag to them that I can fly this solo whilst you're playing on your games console. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm, I'll spend the weekend at the airfield launching gliders and then go up for two or three flights and stay till the evening, help pack the hangar away and off I go home. That's what I love about it. It has, I will admit, it has changed me as a person, not through... This is partly through going solo as well and through gliding as a whole. It's really helped my social skills. I think today I wouldn't actually be able to do this interview because I probably wouldn't be able to hold a three-way conversation simply because of how underconfident I was three years ago before I started gliding. And I have to say, I can talk to anyone of no matter what their age is, who they are, I can just talk to them and hold a proper conversation. And it's really helped develop my personal confidence because I wouldn't say I was massively underconfident at the beginning of secondary. And I just sort of, it's really helped my personal confidence through social skills because gliding is a very social sport. You know, you'll fly throughout the day, but there is a little bit of waiting around, you know, when everyone's firming away and you're yeah, sat exactly. on the ground waiting for it. Then the gliders to come back, you want to fly. You'll just sit there chatting to people. And after yep. you pack the hangar away, you'll go and sit in the club room. You, I can't have a drink because I'm under 18, but people have grabbed themselves a drink and I'll sit down and chat to them. But for me, it's a lemonade because I'm under 18, as I said. Yeah, um, but that's, partly one of the amazing things that is really helped me change me as a person because I know I know how to chat to people which is what I love about it yeah I never would have guessed you would have had any problem doing this interview but um yeah that's awesome no I I will admit um I have actually been on tv twice for being a glider pilot and I was based at Black Mountains Gliding Club for a year because I used to go down to Somerset a lot and it was only an hour and a half away and it was a it's a really picturesque site it's it's like the smallest airfield in the world but they do occasionally get film crews there because of where it is and the opportunities and the scenery that you can see from the glider and I was their youngest member at the time so they sort of said you can sort of join this interview if you want and I was interviewed (laughs) interviewed on ITV and went on national television which oh wow for doing what i love which is what i loved about it so besides your solo flight what flight or flights stand out in your mind good bad scary exciting any of those that you'd like to share with us i have honestly so many i think every every flight is is sort of memorable in its own way even if that's me practicing my side slip and getting it nailed or mastering a winch launch in a crosswind you know every little bit it just helps even if it's just a tiny memory every flight's memorable in some way but of course there is some that stand out um i've had some funny ones i've had some exciting ones there's been some i would admit i've had a a pretty boring flight where i had to do five hours which it sounds oh that sounds fun but after about two hours you do start getting a little bit bored yeah (laughs) because it's not I, i can't really go too far away from the airfield because i'm under 16 right um 
So if you want to go cross country or a long distance away from the airfield, you have to be over 16. And I just, I had to stay within gliding range of the airfield. So by what I mean by gliding ranges, you, if you say you were 2000 feet from the airfield, you've got to at least get back with a thousand feet to spare. So I can only go so far away from the airfield. But going back to my five hours, um, this is still my silver duration. Honestly, I stayed around the airfield the whole time because I, I was quite underconfident on how far I could go in the glider because I get, yeah, having an engine is positive, but I, I'm still really nervous to go quite far away from the airfield. Um, but my five hours definitely sticks in my memory. I did this about two months ago. And when I hit two hours, I honestly, I got so bored. I started singing to myself and making up songs because I didn't know what else to do and tuning in to different radio frequencies and hearing what they were doing because uh, there was not much else I could do. And I did almost hit three red kites, which are a bit like hawks in one thermal. Um, I'm firming away and all of a sudden there's three red kites in the center of this thermal and they suddenly lift up their wings and dive under my wing and are honestly about a foot away from my wing. And that, oh, nice. that was wow. probably, that was pretty entertaining. And then <laughs> there's a, another junior at the club called Ollie and he chased me around for an hour. He, every thermal I went to, he was there. And then I flew to the next thermal, he was there. <laughs> I'm oh, looking nice. out my wing. He's right there. It's like, <laughs> can you go away please? I want to fly by myself <laughs> it was that that's one of the that was one of the boring ones I wouldn't say it was boring it was good to get it out of the way and I knew I had to do it and it was a challenging day as well because it went blue at one point and I went down to about 1500 feet and then I had about 500 feet left before I had to turn in for circuit and I stayed up for five hours after that and it developed oh, wow. into a really nice day just I stayed at 4000 feet for two hours which was really memorable when I remember when the radio call came through Amelia you've done five hours uh, they're like oh make sure to give it an extra 10 minutes <laughs> and the, 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 um, the 10 minutes was probably even longer yeah, right? <laughs> the, the 10 minutes and they said 10 minutes I I put my phone on I played music really loud <laughs> and I just screamed the whole way down with excitement because I knew I'd done it uh, it's it yeah you can it sounds really easy staying up for five hours but it's it's not easy because it's all mental you get to one hour you're like oh this isn't too bad you get to two hours you're like right three hours left almost halfway there I can do this you get to the fourth hour and you're like oh my goodness I can't keep this up much longer and then you get to four hours 30 minutes you're like oh my god I've only got half an hour left and you're like no, because I've got to put an extra 10 minutes over the top to make sure I don't <laughs> yeah. land at four hours, 59 minutes, which would be quite entertaining. But I did my, I did five hours, nine minutes. Nice. And coming back down from 4,000 feet, screaming and singing all the way down, side slipping yeah, cool. with full air break, because I just wanted to get down because right. I really needed the toilet and my legs were killing me. And I landed and everyone drove over and I was like, I just want to get out in my own time because I couldn't feel my legs because I had been cooped up in this little glider for so long. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was one of the most exhilarating and memorable flights. But there's also been the odd funny one here and there, including this was about my 50th flight, which is in terms of gliding isn't that many. I was pre-solo and I had heard of this amazing type of lift called ridge lift so this is when wind blows up a hill um we fly along that wind that's blowing up the hill that wind that's blowing up the hill is called lift and you just simply soar up and down that ridge for you can stay up for hours as long as the wind doesn't stop and when we as i said earlier went down to somerset on holiday a lot and there's this little gliding club only about half an hour from where we stayed and it's called mendip gliding club it's a really really nice gliding club they're so friendly and I had never been briefed on how to fly a ridge site circuit because you have to you have to fly them a lot closer to the airfield than you do on a flatland site because flatland sites are often a little bit bigger than ridge sites. And I was just flying my normal circuit. I would fly at Oxford and I'm flying on my downwind leg. 
I'm like, okay, we're not we're not too far away from the airfield. We started gusting to 20 knots plus, and we're in this wooden ASK 13 with with Mendip Gliding Club's chief flying instructor in the back. And the chief flying instructor is basically in charge of clearance for all the pilots. And in the previous morning briefing, he said not to go too far back on your circuits before you turn finals towards the airfield. Right, turn on my um, downwind leg, turn onto my dangle, then on my base, turn finals towards the airfield. I'm like, oh, we're looking a tad low, but... I won't open the air brakes just yet. Reference points within the airfield. CFS like, we're not going to make it back. He opens the air brakes. We come down and put it in the field behind the airfield. Oh, wow. That was quite <laughs> And we didn't have to derig the glider. We landed in one piece. It was probably one of the smoothest landings I've ever felt. And we landed. We pushed it back. We pulled one of the winch cables over these two dry stone walls, put an old caravan mattress on, but just underneath the cable, pushed the K-13 back to the other end of the field. CFI took it up solo and probably got one of the highest winch launches they've ever got from that club because you can only get a 1,000 feet off that winch launch. And that is one of the most um, entertaining flights I've ever had. Was that your first land out? That was my first land out, and it's only been my first one for now. But I'm sure okay, in coming nice. years, when I start doing my cross-country, I will land out a little bit more. Right. But there's it's just a couple more that stand out in my head. Um I'm mad about vintage aircraft. Vintage aircraft that they're, they're just so they're so special to me. There's something about them. I think partly because my great great grandfather went solo from the Long Mind or Midland Gliding Club, where which is where I also fly from. And he for he went solo in the T twenty one, which is a um side by side open cockpit British built air cadet trainer. There's still loads of them flying, actually, despite them being from the 1950s, because they, they were built to last and they're still flying. And I, when you have to, there's this licensing you can do called bronze. This basically it license you as a qualified pilot and you can still be under 16. And you basically have to do everything again that they do to get you solo. So you basically fly around with a full cat instructor who's highly qualified and they basically sign you off on a load of things. And one of the things you had to do was spinning. And before I went solo, you had to do spinning and I was terrified of it until I finally faced my fear and flew my first ever spin and recovered from it. And I've loved spinning ever since, but the one glider I hate spinning in is the DG505 simply because of how it throws you around like a washing machine when you recover from it. I've done it once and I don't want to do it again simply because of how violently it threw me around. And I didn't want to go and do it in the DG505. So we went up in this open cockpit T21 that is semi-aerobatic, meaning it can do spins. You know what happens next, right? We're going into a right-hand turn, right? I'm flying at this point, right-hand turn, right? Just starting to feel the buffer from the stall about 10 degrees of bank. Pull the stick all the way back, full left rudder. Next thing I know, we're in a left-hand spin. And full right rudder, stick centrally forward, ailerons level. Right, you're now facing straight at the ground, 90 degrees down. Speed feels like it's increasing so much, but simply because of its open cockpit, it's getting really windy. And I'm start, I'm facing down at this ground, right? I'm, this is really windy. Look at the ASI. We're only doing 50 knots. Right, <laughs> pull back on the stick, level off. The top speed we got on that recovery was 60 knots, which oh, nice. I have to say, it, that that's partly why I love spinning RT21 at, the, at Oxford Gliding Club, because she doesn't require as much height as the DG505. And that was partly the one thing we were struggling to get was the height in the DG505 to do spins. And RT21 is called Daisy. And we were really struggling to get the height in the 505, as I said. But we could do a spin from 1,500 feet in Daisy and still have 300 feet left before we had to turn into circuit. So we only wow. lost 200 feet in a two-turn spin. Impressive. Which, which is incredible because the 505 loses 400 feet per turn in a spin. So yeah. you need wow. at least 3,000 feet before you can do any sort of spin training, which is quite hard to get off a winch launch. So that's partly why I did it in my the T21. And I love vintage aircraft and I did my first ever spins in Daisy as well. So it's partly why I wanted to do it. 
and I got signed off my bronze spin training. And when everyone comes and asks me, oh, what did you do your bronze spin training? And I oh, I said, I do it in the T21. They're like, you can spin the T21? I was like, yeah, you can, because it's semi-aerobatic. <laughs> that's, why I, that's partly why I love vintage aircraft, because people are really surprised by what vintage aircraft can do. Their performance might be utterly rubbish, but there's something about flying them I love. But there is also a side of me that sees all these fancy modern aircraft and like they all look the same. They all got the same cockpit layout. They all they look like they all fly the same. They've got the same wing, same fuselage. But I actually got to fly on an Arcus T, which is a quarter of a million pound glider. And it's got a 21 meter wingspan and its wings bend up over the top of the fuselage. And you're looking down this wing and it's bending all the way up. It's amazing to look at. It doesn't look like it wants to fly. And you get up, it's got six, almost 60 to one glide ratio. And honestly, it feels like you're cruising in an airliner. It's that smooth. And it's got flaps as well. You just select negative flaps. You're cruising at 70 knots and it feels like you're only cruising at 40. And it's an Arcus T because it's got a turbo in it, which is a fold out engine that we can fold away as well. And on this day, it wasn't very firm, but there was a little bit of lift around. We were meant to go cross country. We had the task set to go cross country, but we didn't in the end. And we stayed up for about an hour and a half and we fired up the turbo a few times. I had never flown with an engine in a glider. So it was a really bewildering experience for me. God, it's noisy. It, the whole airframe shakes when you fire it up. Um, I can see the benefits of having one. You come down pretty p- quickly when it's deployed because there's a lot of drag and you just fire it up off you go and you're going up about 500 feet per minute and I can see the effectiveness of it and you just fold it away when you're ready to go again and the Arcus is a lovely glider to fly and it's just so smooth it looks like it's really heavy but it's not actually that heavy if you think about other gliders its wings aren't huge but it can glide a long way because of simply because of how aerodynamic it is that's partly what I wouldn't say I I love more modern aircraft because they kind of look all the same. But the Arcus, I love the Arcus because of just how smooth and how light it is on the controls. It's a bit like flying the T21, but with a lot more performance. So yeah. that's, that's why I'm so passionate about vintage aircraft because they're amazing to fly. Our longtime sponsor of the show, the Soaring Academy, is engaged in nonprofit outreach work with local area veterans and also with young people for the STEM programs at their top-notch glider port facility just outside of Los Angeles, nestled near the north side of the San Gabriel Mountains. They also have a fantastic flight school and are continuing to turn out great glider pilots every month. If you like to donate to their nonprofit initiatives or learn more about their flight school, Go to SoaringAcademy.org or check them out on Instagram at Soaring Academy. Speaking with you and your dad before this interview, I learned you are the roving reporter for the build-up to the 2022 Women's World Competition. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. And how did this happen? And how are you covering this? Uh, So I was given this fabulous opportunity about four or five months ago, I had a message come through from the Women's World Gliding Championships on Instagram. And it came through, I was sort of like, what what, what is this? I was like, okay, I've heard of the Women's Worlds. I know it's being held in the UK this year. I was quite curious. And I was just interested in what it was all about because I'd flown in one competition before flying as the P2 in a glider I flew my first cross country and I was I'm really passionate about flying competitions and I was really surprised that by this opportunity but then I, I realized I've actually won the OP Jones Cup for the contribution to the sport from the British Women Pilots Association so the British Women Pilots Association or BWPA is a basically a large organization of female pilots throughout britain they run loads of events they support female pilots all over the uk with scholarships there's loads of events they do as well and just sort of an organization for female pilots to come and see each other which is great yeah very cool i was given 
um, the trophy for contributing to gliding, which I think that's partly why they gave me the opportunity. And I am really proud to be the roving reporter. And what does my role entail during the Women's World Gliding Championships? So basically, I am the person that interviews key people throughout the competition, be that tongue masters, task setters, pilots, wing runners, all, all sorts of people I've interviewed. Um, and basically, my dad's got his iPhone on a tripod and I'll stand there and interview people. That's pretty much it. And nice. our fabulous editor will turn it into this magical marvellous piece to upload to all our different social media channels we've got and basically I am the person that comes around and interviews everyone and shows everyone what gliding competitions are all about which is that's why I really really enjoy it and the Women's Worlds is being held in the UK here in an airfield called Husbands Bosworth or the Gliding Centre in Leicestershire, which is, is only about two hours away from London. And it is a two week long competition from the 13th to the 27th of August. And there's going to be out 50 pilots from, I don't, lots of different countries. There's loads coming out from Europe. I believe there's some from Asia and America as well. Um, we've actually got Ukraine coming this year as well. So we managed to organise them some, with some amazing funding and gliders that people have very kindly offered for, for them to borrow, which I think is a really, really nice opportunity for them. And partly a really cool opportunity for the UK as well, because the last Women's Worlds was held in Australia, which was in 2019. And yeah. Australia isn't the easiest place to access when you're just a 15 year old because yeah um it it's not on the other side of the world and the last time the UK hosted any sort of women's international competition was in the 1990s so it's going to be about I think it's bang on 30 years that the UK has held a international competition for the women's worlds and it's going to be a really fabulous opportunity to come and see what how an international competition works and partly show what the females can do when it comes to international competitions because it's about as big as it gets in the world of gliding. I'm really stoked to be working on the social media team because I'm quite large on social media if some people follow me on Instagram. Yeah, those uh, have have actually a question coming up. I was going to ask you about that. But before I get to that, uh, what does dad think about all this? Uh, I'm here as it happens, Chuck. Uh, good to speak to you. Hey, good to speak with you. Yeah, your daughter has done a lot in soaring already. I mean, uh, what do you think about all this? It's it's a wonderful opportunity. You know, when a kid's got the level of enthusiasm that you may have noticed she has, yes, you've just got to support it and nurture that. I remember her going solo. I thought I'd be nervous, but actually when I look at the level of training that the team at Oxford have put her through and the other places she'd flown to, I knew she was ready to go. So actually, I, I wasn't nervous, but I can't I can't lie. I was absolutely delighted when she landed as well. <laughs> so, no, it's great. It's a great opportunity. And what it's given us is a very capable young lady that I think can face anything in the world in the future. I agree. She's well on her way and, and doing a great job. Thank you. Thanks. So this question kind of follows up with the last one, Amelia. I wanted to talk with you a bit about your social media that you had mentioned. It looks like you have over 12,000 followers and that's just on Instagram alone here on the pod. You know, we really encourage people to share their pics, their videos or blogs, anything else about their soaring journey. Of course, I think it is a great way of course to spread the word about our amazing sport and help it grow young people, you know, especially like you are the reason soaring will continue to grow and not fade away. Well, my social media originally started from my mountain biking, but about a year later, I stopped mountain biking. So my Instagram account turned towards gliding. And ever since then, the Instagram account has been primarily for gliding. And last time I checked, I had 16.3k followers on my Instagram. It has recently been going mad because some of my videos have had hundreds of thousands of views and 
I when I hit a thousand followers that was a real milestone for me because you know I'm just a, a young girl in aviation flying gliders around the sky 14 or 15 years old you know it's it's a pretty epic thing to show because I'm not sure many people realize how amazing gliding is because you can't fly a powered aircraft solo till you're 16 so it kind of makes a big difference because I can already be qualified and fly solo and go cross country around the country from 16 without an engine yeah I might land in the old field but that's partly why I wanted to share my journey on social media I am primarily based on Instagram I tried starting up TikTok but I feel like TikTok's primarily video based but I also do a lot of video work Instagram lives stories posts basically showing everyone what oh I've flown this glider at the weekend I went upside down flew to here back and done this sort of thing just showing everyone what what I've done that that's partly why I started up and I post videos and just showing everyone hey I'm a 15 year old flying this airplane around the sky this is pretty epic and after I started posting videos of what I was doing after I went solo that's when the followers started to build and I think it's really important to just show how to get more people into sport and how accessible it is because as you said most young people like me are basically attached to our phones staring at instagram tiktok or whatever and just basically showing everyone this magical world of gliding that you can rather get away from your screen and go and spend a day at the airfield learning about how to fly an airplane because why else would you want to spend your weekend at an airfield it's pretty epic it is absolutely and you're definitely helping the sport by spreading the word. They're already looking at their phones, so why not grab their attention? Yeah, so if any of you are interested in following me on Instagram, my Instagram is Amelia underscore, underscore glider underscore pilot or Amelia glider pilot. And it's probably the, the first one you find because I haven't found anyone else with that name. And... It, that's primarily how I show my aviation journey and it brought me some pretty epic opportunities so drop me a follow and drop me a message saying hi and that's why I love showing my world through social media is just showing everyone what I do and how exciting gliding is absolutely we will be adding that to the show notes too so they can just click on that and that'll take you Perfect. take them to you thank you so Amelia looking into the cockpit now can you tell us about Anything that you would change? Do you like everything that's there's for the aircraft you fly the most? Uh, so you, you may, for people that fly powered aircraft, there's a lot more in the cockpit than gliders. In gliders, we literally have a compass, an airspeed indicator, an altimeter, a variometer, a radio, and a flam unit. A flam is similar to Sky Demon or skynav sort of that stuff it's basically a little radar that transmits a location and that's your basic cockpit but some more modern gliders have more modern instruments so we have electronic variometers which is basically a vertical speed indicator that makes noise when we're going up and down so we can continue our lookout because we don't have an engine and can't just switch on and cruise where we want to go to so we're looking out the window that's partly why we have that to assist us and that's basically the the basic loadout of a typical glider cockpit but there's some other things you can add such as an UDI or a glider guider which is basically a sat nav that you could use in the sky and it basically gives you everything you need such as your average climb rate when you're in a thermal how fast you're going up where you are if you're in airspace frequencies as well and you can basically select a location and it'll tell you how far you need to go. And that is basically all free. So you can put the app on your phone and off you go. I actually used that for my five hours so I could see how long I'd been up and how far I'd been. And it works really well. But in in club gliders, there's not really any point having all this fancy stuff because the majority of two-seaters are training gliders. So there's not really any point having 
all this fancy technology in because you use them for training and you literally need all the basic instruments I said there they're all requirements you have to have when you get start getting into um, private gliders so when you get your own glider you can start putting your own technology in when you start going cross-country that's when you really need all this average climb rate and how far you need to go sort of stuff but the one thing is technology isn't always reliable especially some of this thermal averager stuff um sometimes you're going up and the thermal averager isn't even noticing you're turning and going up so it's not always reliable and gliders rely on batteries some have solar panels but it might not be sunny so our batteries do run out and we are primarily running on a ASI, an altimeter, a compass, and an analog variometer to get us home. So you have got to learn to fly with analog instruments. is basically similar you would do in a PA28 when you're doing a PPL sort of thing. That's one thing I can see the benefits of having all this modern stuff, but goodness me, it's expensive. I think it's a thousand pounds for a full screen display type thing with a moving map. It's not affordable. Um, but no, it can whereas, really get crazy. Exactly. Whereas um, you can have your phone with CU Mobile, which is basically like a, the sat-nav thing I was talking about, and pay £50 a month to have everything in this £1,000 device on your phone. So it sort of makes sense to have it yeah. on your phone. <laughs> you can take it in and out whenever you want. And I would admit having an UD or a glider guider is something cool to have, but it's quite expensive, especially paying for your own flying as well. It does get quite expensive. Yeah, um, But you've got to learn to fly on instruments because sometimes you might jump in our C21 we've got at Oxford and it has only got three instruments, which shocks some people. It has literally got an airspeed indicator, an altimeter and a cosine variometer, which basically instead of your typical variometer or your vertical speed indicator you might be used to, it's got a green ball that goes up when you're in lift and that's measured in meters per second. And then a red ball that goes up when you're going down and no audio vario either. And we have actually fitted it out with a trans receiver radio. So it's a little, not, I wouldn't say modern, modern, but <laughs> a little bit more of a modern upgrade. Um, yeah. And you simply, you, you have got to, we don't always look at our instruments when we fly. We're usually looking out the window for aircraft and listening and feeling to how fast we're going. We mainly only look at the altimeter to see how high we are and do calculations in our head to see how far we can go sort of thing. So that's, that's the only time we really use our instruments, and especially on landing and takeoff as well. So that's mainly the really only time we use our instruments. We're not really looking at the instruments when we fly. I see on my notes here that regularly uh, you assist in maintenance evenings at Oxford Gliding Club. Now, that sounds like something a lot of clubs could be doing if they're not already. How does it work? And do you have a lot of people pitching in on those evenings? Uh, so every Tuesday night, um, we host maintenance evenings at Oxford. And basically, I will go up with my dad and there'll be a group of engineers and maintainers there. Basically, there's a, there's a lot more to gliders to get them in the air than you think because, yeah, they've got no engine, but there's a lot that goes into gliders. Wings, fuselage, instruments, everything else. There's so much more into maintaining them. And I was just genuinely interested in what makes this glider up? How do the wings go on? How does the tail go on sort of thing? And... The benefits of being skinny as well, you can fit in places where most people can't. So I have been shoved down the odd glider backwards to connect the odd control rod here and there, um, connect ASI tubing pipes that were leaking and stuff, because I'm quite skinny so I can fit through the odd tight space most people can't, which that's that's partly what I, I love about the maintenance evenings. You learn, you learn a lot about what it takes to keep the glider in the air and it's really educational as well because it put it teaches you basic life skills of like how to use a drill and how to tape up the wings of a glider so no air gets into the little gaps and makes it a bit more aerodynamic 
and it, it gives you an idea of when you're doing your daily inspection on a glider before you fly it, what looks wrong, what looks right, and how to fix stuff as well. That it's quite easy. There's some stuff I can't do because you have to be an engineer or a qualified maintainer to do that. But there's stuff I can do, you know, taping up wings and stuff like that. That's partly what I like. And when I'm doing my daily inspection, I can just wander around. Oh, that that doesn't look quite right. And I'd be like, hmm, not quite a fan of that. And I'll go and grab someone that knows what they're doing. And I'll just ask, does this look fine? Because without that, some people don't realise that that doesn't look quite right. So you've got to learn to do these kind of things. And that's probably what I love about it. And I don't necessarily know about what arrangements other clubs have got. But most clubs tend to have a glider workshop. And every year a glider has a large inspection called an annual inspection and you can go and help out on those and you can learn a lot and you can just generally just ask around and you'll you'll be quite surprised on how keen people are to show you how a glider flies and what what it takes to keep a glider in the air absolutely you know you can learn a lot on the ground for sure amelia what are your plans for the future oh so my plans for the future gliding wise is I would love to start making a dent in some of my aerobatics. I am honestly, I love doing aerobatics. They're so exciting and being able to go up solo and do loops and chandelles and zero G pushovers and stuff like that. It just, it wows me because at the moment, because of my age, there's some stuff I can't do such as cross country. So I've sort of reached all the qualifications I can do before once you've gone solo and once you hit 16, there's sort of this year gap that you have to fill stuff in with. And aerobatics is the one thing that you can do. So I'm making a little bit of denting in my basic aerobatics rating, which allows me to fly aerobatics solo. And I've actually met some really professional aerobatics pilots, including Graham Saw, who does aerobatics in gliders for his job basically and he would do them at air shows and he's just fantastic and he's actually offered to coach me which is really really kind of him and that, that's kind of who inspired me to do aerobatics that's why I love it and in a few years time I would love to fly on the British team for the either the junior British team or the women's British team I'm a really aspiring cross-country pilot because I want to be one of the youngest pilots to get on the British team and hopefully one of the youngest gliding instructors as well because I'm really passionate about giving back what instructors have given me because the difference between powered flying and gliding is here in the UK all instructors are voluntary no one pays for the instructor so all the instructors give up their weekend to come and spend a day at the airfield teaching people how to fly which is what I partly why I want to become a gliding instructor at 16 so my aim is to become the youngest one in the country that is able of demonstrating aerobatics because I sort of saw um, another girl she was quite young when she became an instructor I was sort of like hmm, I sort of want to give that a go because the back seat is the most comfiest seat um, that's partly why I want to do it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and i just passionate about giving back what instructors have given me through training me up to get solo and training me up to get my bronze and starting some of my basic instructor training as well. So my basic instructor rating would allow me to take people up for their first flights and basically show them this magical world of gliding which I'm really enthusiastic and passionate about getting people into and in the next few years I would love to hopefully own my own glider I would love a label because they are one of the prettiest gliders and I have always fancied one they are were built in the 1970s and just look like a jet and they're really small cockpits so I would be able to fit in one as well they are probably one of the prettiest gliders that I would love to own and fly. I'd agree with you on that for sure. Now here on the podcast, of course, we always like to give our guests a chance to give a shout out. 
to the people that greatly have affected them and helped them along the way. So, Amelia, this is your chance. Uh, there is so many people that have helped me along the way, even if that's just giving me a few words of encouragement. They generally, there's even a simple task of if they're a little bit nervous, go and tell them you can do this sort of thing. It just gives them that little bit boost of confidence. And there's many people along the way I've met that have done that to me or even taken me up for an amazing flight where we've done Luba Loops, helped me really boost my confidence. And they've just been really inspirational towards me. So there's various people I would just like to say thank you to. So Andrew, who is an ex-Harrier pilot, Mandy Hickson, who's also an ex-Tornado pilot, Danners, who's also a fellow glider pilot, and Zara Rutherford, who flew solo around the world, and Liz Sparrow, who's a competition director of the Women's World. She's been really passionate to help me push for some pretty epic opportunities. Fran and Claudia, who are on the British gliding team, who are going to be competing at the Women's Worlds this year. Rose Johnson and Neil Swinton, the CFIs at Oxford and Midland Gliding Club, have been so passionate about getting me flying, getting me flying lots of different gliders and just helping boost my confidence. And basically every all the instructors at every gliding club I've been to, I've never received any negative comments towards me for being a woman in aviation so that's partly I think that's partly because they all volunteer as well and there's there's loads of others such as Jessica D'Amelio and Catherine Maloney they aren't glider pilots but they have achieved so many amazing opportunities and they've given me some fabulous opportunities as well and there's loads of people at the British Women Pilots Association the British Gliding Association that really helped me along the road as well including Lizzie and Steph who have giving me some pretty epic opportunities that I honestly couldn't have wished for. So you've kind of answered this question already, but if you're trying to convince someone to try out soaring and take that first flight, what would you say to them? Uh, the first flight for many is a beginning of a new type of flying, even if they've never done it before. It It's amazing to do because it, it feels like you're free. Once you're off the winch launch or the aerotome, you can do whatever you want till you run out of height, basically, or you find lift and stay up. It's amazing. But the one thing that daunts people is it doesn't have an engine, so how can it fly? If an airliner's engine failed, it wouldn't just drop out of the sky and hit the ground. Glider, essentially, it glides. And if an airliner lost its engines, it would glide as well, basically being a massive glider. If you've heard of Miracle on the Hudson... That's what they did. They lost their engines and put it on a river. So a glider is basically an airliner without any engines and can go a lot further. So that, that's one thing that daunts people. But we can actually go a pretty long way without an engine. So um, the longest flight in the UK is 1,009 kilometres, all without an engine and relying on natural lift sources. And it is the most fun you can ever have. And it, it feels like basically being a massive bird, just soaring the skies with no engine, no noise, just the air brushing over the canopy. It's so quiet, just the instructor in the back talking to you and you're just flying this massive bird around and just being free. And I would just say, if you get the opportunity to go in a glider or you, you want to start it up, go for it because it's the most fun you can ever have. The last portion of this podcast is what we like to call our soaring lightning round. When we asked you a question, you can answer it or you can pass, Amelia. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. If you could fly your glider at one bank angle other than zero, what would it be? 45 degrees. What's your lowest save from land out? Uh, 500 feet. If you had to pick just one thing, and well, you do, since it's the lightning round, if there's one area glider pilots should focus on more to improve safety, what issue or area would that be? Spinning. What's your favorite piece of equipment in the glider? Variometer. Now, Amelia, I know you're a fairly new pilot and building your hours in your glider, but so far, 
Do you have any advice for others that have just started and can't seem to stay in a thermal? Practice centering in thermals because that's the one thing that I kick you out of the thermal is not centering in them. Learn what a thermal feels like. Don't rely on the variometer because it has a slight, slight lag before you turn into a thermal. Turn the variometer off and hear what the air does before you go into a thermal. And learn to centre in a thermal because once you centre in the core of a thermal, you're growing up in the strongest lift, which means you stay up for longer. Good advice. If you could only fly one glider for the rest of your days, what would it be? A label, even if I've never flown one. Nice. Okay, Amelia, last lightning round question. What part of the world is on your bucket list that you haven't been to but would love to fly gliders there? America. Nice, I like that one. (laughs) And we have some beautiful places to soar here in the United States. Exactly. Amelia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've had a lot of fun. It's nice talking to you. It's nice talking to your dad. If he's there, thank you. Thank you so much, Chuck. Wings and Wheels has been serving the soaring and sport aviation community for over 30 years. They hands down have the largest and most comprehensive inventory of sailplane and soaring supplies in North America, and they ship globally. Nearly everything you'll find on their site is in stock and ready for same-day shipping. Wings and Wheels is the exclusive American representative for HPH sailplanes. Be sure to check out the Twin Shark, their latest launch. They're also now the exclusive distributor in North America for the new Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. The team has thousands of hours of flying experience in gliders and airplanes. Staffed by Adam, Kelly, Julie, and Sean, a friendly voice will answer when you call or email them. Check them out at wingsandwheels.com. Hi everyone, Sergio from Story Master here. Today we're going to talk about one crucial thing for increasing your cross-country speed, which can be frightening for many pilots, discarding thermals. Since the start of our cross-country soaring experiences, we are taught to discard poor-performing thermals and to circle only the strongest ones, or at least those which match the expected climb average. But assuming that the pilot is able to correctly estimate the average ahead, How can one discard the main source of lift out there and not increase the chances of landing now? The answer is the combination of two different techniques, height bands and energy lines. The use of height bands, which consists in the division of soluble height in three different bands, each band with a different strategy, the highest one for cruising, the middle one for climbing, and the lowest one for survival, therefore no thermals can be discarded in the lower high band. This forms the basis of outlanding risk management. The tree height bands gives us a framework that enables us to discard thermals in the upper and middle bands. But there's another important technique that improves our capacity of thermal selection, the use of energy lines. By continuously adjusting your flight track to air patches along the route with better vertical speed, one can continuously sink less and end up with an effective glide ratio much greater than sailplane's maximum LRD, even cruising at higher speeds. The effect of energy lines is a cumulative one. Each second you spend cruising through so-called better air, or air patches which have a better vertical speed than the surroundings, will improve your glide ratio and make you reach the next thermal way higher than what MacReady theory would predict. Your effective glide ratio will be increased. In order to use energy lines, the first thing is to identify them. So you need to train your eyes to identify sorable phenomena and all the clues that the atmosphere gives us about where to find rising air. And by using NATO and adjusting our flight path to use these air patches, we'll be able to glide a lot more. The thing is that the effect of energy lines is a cumulative one, and therefore we cannot spoil it with greater deviations because this will consume any gain at all with energy lines. So. Uh, by using these two techniques, the tree height bands 
and by using energy lines, we will be able to increase your effective glide ratio to such an extent that discarding thermals won't be painful at all. Because if you can glide more, you can discard more. These are the keys for thermal selection. But remember, if you're not finding thermals which match the climb average setting or vario, you should reassess the average ahead and adjust your settings accordingly. That's it, guys. See you in the next episode. For more tips, follow me on Instagram at SurreyMaster or check my website, SurreyMaster.com. If you would like to say hi and let us know where you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you are a glider pilot and want to share your aviation journey, contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com or send us a message on our website at soaringthesky.com and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next time for another soaring adventure here on Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. Soaring the Sky is written and produced by Chuck Fulton, co-producer Mitch Thompson. Original music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton. Voiceover work was done by Michelle Perez. <laughs>